0: They marveled at your signs, your wonders. They thought you had died, but you saved the world. A sign, power, divine authority. Expect a miracle, believe for a miracle, receive for a miracle. And be responsible to manage your miracle. Where miracles are, there certainly God is. Well, one thing's for certain: we'll not be accused of not keeping it real. So anyway, thank you, Dan, for that uh, adjective. We understand it now. We understand fully what you meant. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you today, and welcome to Influence Church. And this time we have to study the Word of God and grow in our faith and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning in our first service, uh, we didn't have the interview. We had a dedication of one family that uh, of eight, six kids, uh, which is awesome, especially in light of six of them were literally prayed into, or four of them were prayed into the kingdom here because uh, mom was told she couldn't have any children, and now they want the prayer request removed from the wall. Uh, So they got the oldest ones nine, and they worked their way down till about four months. So it's awesome to see that and to see that life. And it just made me think about uh, each of you, because when I look out, I don't see your name uh, or you as much as I see your story. And if I've been around you much and if I know anything about you, there's a story that each of you weave in my mind. And it's those stories in my mind that become the catalyst for the prayers for you. And so when I see you, if I don't mention to you how significant you are and your story is, just know that you are and that you're on my mind, and you become uh, the part of my prayer that says I see people. I see people walking, doing things, painting walls, moving chairs. And really that's what community is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about life and life-giving. And we go through good times and bad times together. We encourage one another. And that's, that is what God has designed us to do. Amen? So I just want to say a shout-out to each one of you for being a part of that. And that really is what community is for, and that's what we're all about here. I was um, reading in Ephesians 4.27, which will become the basis of our message today. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to it. It is a short verse. It is so short that it gets overlooked, and it's so short you're going to say, I went to all the trouble to find Ephesians, only to find it was a short verse that I could memorize instantly. It simply says this. It says in Ephesians, nor give place to the devil. There was a lot of work to find Ephesians. But it's important that you know where these things are because you want to go back and find them. But when I read it, in my mind, I, I thought I knew what that verse meant. And little did I know that it would expand so much from that instant kind of understanding that I had of it. Because in my mind, it was always, you know, don't let the devil take advantage of you. But it was so much broader than that. You'll notice that I have up there the, the Greek word that goes with it. It's the word tapas. It is a word that means where we get our English word topology. It is the idea of a region or a place. And so when you study down into that word, the first meaning of that is a place or any portion or space marked off like a village or a city. And here's what God is saying. God is saying, do not allow the enemy, Satan, to have any part of your village or your city. That this is your place to live. This is the ground upon which God has made holy for you. And you are to not give him opportunity to take any of that region, any of that village, any of that space, and use it against you. So many times we live our life as though we were cursing the ground we walked on. We complain. We we don't like it. We say this and we say that, not realizing that we're giving place to the enemy when we do that. Because the words of our mouth are either life or they are death. And so when you think about your place, this is your place. When you find the field, that place of great price, great honor, great worth, what you do is the, the parable says you buy it for, you buy that land because you know there's a pearl of great price in that land. And you know that if you get that pearl, that it's worth more than anything this world could ever offer. And so the field that you have is your place. It is your city. It is your village. And this is the place that God is going to prosper you and guide you. It also means your position or your assignment. So do not give the devil your position or your assignment. Believe it or not, realize it or not, that God has a purpose for you and he has an assignment and a position for you that every single person on planet Earth plays a role, an important role. Because God is the giver of life. There's nobody who's an accident. You might have been born in such a way that you don't know your father. You might not know your mother. You might be adopted. You might be uh, someone whose parents left you, abandoned you somewhere along the line. But that doesn't make you insignificant because God birthed you. It was the breath of his mouth into your soul that created a living being. And God has a purpose for you, and he has an assignment for you. You may not know what it is at this point. You may be doing your assignment and not even realizing it's an assignment. Also, that word means power and authority or dominion. That do not give the enemy any of your power, any of your authority, any of your dominion. Do not let him have that which is not his. He doesn't deserve it. He didn't earn it, and you don't want to give it away. You don't want to act as though you're helpless. Sometimes we as believers, we act as though that we don't have any choice. We throw up our hands in desperation, and we say, now what am I going to do? As if there was something you had to do in the first place. All you had to do was be. It's not about doing. When you, be, when you are who you were created to be, all the do will take care of itself. You'll know what to do. You'll know how to live. You'll know how to act. You'll know how to speak. It's when you lose focus of your identity, your purpose, your assignment, your dominion in the region, in the city, in your life, in your mind, in your family, in your job that you find yourself hopeless and wondering what you're going to do. I have a revelation for you today, and this might surprise you. It is that the devil is not interested in you. Now, I want to pause long enough for you to think about how wrong I am and then about how right I am. He's really interested in your destiny. If he can take your destiny, you are just one more of seven billion people on planet Earth. If he can rob you of your destiny, if he can take away your purpose and your authority and your power, You see, if you live your life as though there is nothing beyond just what you're doing right now in your job and in your life, in your school and in your family, then you lose sense of your destiny. Do you realize that the devil has been watching your family for thousands of years? He knows all the weaknesses. He probably even knows something about your destiny and about what you will do or what your children's children will do. What if it was that your children or your children's children, or take it even further, your children's children's children would somehow be significant in changing the world. What if they became one of those individuals in the future that would cure cancer? What if they were one of those individuals that would stand up on a platform of righteousness and lead a nation? But you lost track of your destiny. You gave over your authority and your power to the one who doesn't deserve it who doesn't earn it, and will only be greedy for more and more. He has no authority except that which you give him. You see, the devil is interested in your territory. He looks out, and he sees your territory. He sees where you operate and how you operate in your city, in your place of work, and he sees that territory, and it becomes for him like a bullseye. He said, I'm going to get that away from you one way or another. I'll do it through discouragement. I'll do it through defeat, I'll do it through frustration, I'll do it through a lack of faith, but I am my eye is on that purpose, that plan that God has for you, your territory, your region, or your assignment. He's also after your authority and your influence. If you don't think you have any authority over the enemy, then he rolls over you and over and over and over you again and again. If you don't think you have any influence, then you don't even try to exercise influence in your life because you say, Who am I anyway? I'm just. And then you put in, you fill in the next word, I'm just a, I'm just a. Well, who told you that? It wasn't God. God says you're a royal diadem. God says you're a precious jewel in the hand of God, and when he turns it, he sees every facet of your life reflect the very glory of God. God said you are a son and a daughter of the living God. Who told you you were just something? You were, that was the enemy telling you something because he knows your destiny and he knows if, you can rob you, if he can rob you of your future, he can rob the world of the destiny and the blessings that are going to come by walking in the power and the grace of Almighty God. Amen? Let's not let him do it. Let's not not let him do it. You know, when Tam and I were first married, we moved to New Orleans. And if you, you know people who've lived there or are born there the way they say it. If you say it with two words, you've never been there. It's not New Orleans. Those are pure rookie moves. You have to say it like this, New Orleans. You want to try it? It's kind of fun, New Orleans. Okay, got it? All right. So we moved there, and uh, we decided to go into the French Quarter, and we were going to have some beignets. Now, beignets are the, one of those rare foods that you know whoever's eaten them because they're white powdered donuts, and you have them all over you. So, yes, they've eaten beignets today. So I had a little pickup truck named Bob. I don't know why we named it Bob. It looked like Bob to me. You know, some trucks and cars, they just look like a personality. And this one, no offense to you named Bob, I loved Bob. And uh, I had a topper camper on the back of Bob. And I had my tools in there. I never thought of anyone stealing from Bob. And we came back, and the the topper door was open, and someone had stolen all my tools. Now, the problem wasn't the thieves in the city. The problem was the lock on the topper. You see, you never get away from thieves. You just get better locks. In your life, You're not going to avoid the thief who's trying to steal. What you're going to do is you're going to improve the lock. You're going to lock it down, and you're going to say, I know he's coming, and I'm ready for him. I'm going to have an early warning system called an alarm that when I start to feeling certain things in my life, I'm going to go back to the truck. I'm going to lock the door. I'm going to make sure my life is secure because God has given me, now here are the two words, authority and dominion. Say it with me, authority and dominion. Now let me take you to the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to ask you to focus in on a word, and I'm going to repeat this word many times with several scriptures. It's the word keep. It says in Genesis 2, 15, And the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden, to dress it, and to, say it with me, keep it. Now, the word keep is a Hebrew word that means to to build a wall of thorns around something. The idea is you're going to keep somebody out of the garden. Anybody got a guess who that might be? Right? So the idea is you're going to protect something. So he said to Adam, he said to Eve, I want you to protect that which I'm giving you, With a wall of thorns, you've got to keep somebody out because there's somebody that has an agenda to get in to the garden and to bring about destruction and destroy, and he is a thief. The Bible says he was a liar from the very beginning, Genesis and before. He was a liar from the very beginning, and he is a thief, and he is a murderer. He's got three ideas for you. He's going to steal from you. He's going to lie to you, and he's going to kill you. And it doesn't mean that he necessarily physically kills you. He can kill you a little at a time. And so what you want to do is recognize that he's coming, and he's coming against you. So you have authority. Now, I want to put a word up here. It's the word authority, and I want you to see how we've uh, kind of highlighted something. You notice it's the word author. I want you to think about your authority. It comes from the author. The author of your faith is God. If the author of your life is not God, if you're exercising authority in, for example, your own insight and your own wisdom, then you become the author of your future. If the author in your life is the enemy himself... Then your authority comes from him, and you're walking in the authority of the enemy. You're not walking in the authority of God. You always go back to authority, who is the author of my life? Who wrote the book about me? Who saw me in him before the foundations of the world? Who gave the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world that I might have life and have it more abundantly? It's the author, God Almighty, God, the maker of heaven and earth, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And in him we live and move and we have our being. He is the author. He is our authority in life. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus said this, all authority, not some authority, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and and on earth. If he's the author of your life, if you know Jesus, he's the author of your life, guess what? You have all authority been given unto you through Jesus Christ. That is on heaven and on earth. We have to walk in that, not ignore that, not make excuses and try to avoid that. You see, Satan doesn't have authority. It's already been taken, right? Jesus took it, he disarmed, it says in Colossians chapter 2, in verse 15, Jesus having disarmed, disarmed principalities and powers. Now, you know, we've got a lot, a lot of law enforcement in this church right now, and a couple of, a couple of people right here on the front row. They've had to disarm people, I'm sure, before because they were dangerous. And you've got to take the weapon out of their hand and make them secure. What do you first thing you do? Take the weapon out handcuff them, right? You bind them. Are you with me on this one? You bind them, and then you put them away until the judgment day. That's what Jesus did to Satan. He disarmed him. He took the weapon away, handcuffed him, and said, oh, he's free to roam, but he doesn't have any power and authority except that which you give him. Satan has no power, no authority over you except you relinquish and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. Really? How much of this word of God has to get into you for you to be convinced that you are a son of the living God, a daughter of the living God, that you can operate in power and authority? You see, we, we live sometimes our life with failure and disappointment. Let's talk about that a little bit. Anybody here never just never failed at anything? Just raise your hand. Never failed at anything? Good. We've got a good audience here today. Everybody's got is this is applicable. Anybody here never been disappointed? Never been disappointed, right? That's good. We're all, you know, we need to get a new science. The sinner's welcome here. Because we all classify ourselves into this. We have been disappointed. We have been disappointed. We have failed in our life. But let me tell you something. You can fail a hundred times and you're not a failure. Do not accept the identity of being a failure. So what? You failed. You just got a good education. You paid your tuition. Now you're ready to move forward. Amen? I mean, if you fall down, so what? Join the human race. The key is don't get stuck in looking in the back behind you. Get stuck looking forward. Have you ever tried to drive a car with a rearview mirror? You know, I think I'm just going to go forward, but I'm not going to look out the windshield because it's just too big. The mirror has been neglected because it's minor. I'm just going to look in the mirror and see how well I do, and you're going to run into stuff all day long. You say, you know what, I think I'm just going to drive backwards instead. I'm just going to look in the rear view mirror, now I know where I'm going. Have you ever tried to drive backwards going fast? It's not pretty. Sometimes, you know, when we're backing up and there's not cars around and it's a pretty wide open space, I'll... I'll uh, Kind of show off for my wife how fast I can go backwards. And I get the look. She gives me that look. Now, don't do that. This is not safe. You know, and then sooner or later it's going to be the spiritual card. You're a man of God. (laughs) And by that time I yield, not because really she's, you know, guilted me into it or anything, but I just, I get a little scared myself, to be honest with you. (laughs) This is just going too fast. When I was in college, I had a friend that had a Delta 88. Now, this is going back, and it had a 455. Now, this doesn't mean much to you ladies. 455, I think it was, or 485 cubic inch engine with a four-barrel carburetor on it. And he said, now, when the four barrels kick in, ladies, it runs in two barrels, and when you really push it down, you can hear those old carburetors kick in, and then the car just, like, lunges. It's like a turbo, right, and it just lunges forward. And uh, so my buddy... um, Ron said, I wonder if that would work in reverse. I wonder if the two barrels would kick in going in reverse. And sure enough, they do. Let me tell you something some of you are doing that. You're not satisfied with disappointment, you're going to kick in the other two barrels. And your life gets harder and harder to control, and it's because you're going in the wrong direction. You're looking at disappointment, defeat, and discouragement. You're looking in the rearview mirror, and God says, I want you to look at your destiny. I want you to look at your future. Let me take you to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. Remember we used the word keep? Now I'm going to use it again. So Adam and Eve have sinned. Now they're going to be escorted out of the Garden of Eden. And here's why God took them out of the Garden of Eden. It was because had they taken from the tree of life after they had fallen, they would have been locked in for eternity into a state of fallenness. God had to remove them from the garden, station an angel there to keep them from going back in, and they would find the mercy of God apart from the tree of life That was in the garden. And as they found the mercy of God, they would find life. You see, in the Old Testament, New Testament alike, people only come to faith in God or only saved by the mercy of God in our faith in a God who is merciful. So, Let's look at the scripture. So he drove out the man and he placed them at the east of the Garden of Eden, uh, cherubims, with a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. You see, God was very intentional. He said, I'm going to plant, as it were, that hedge of protection around the garden. I'm going to use an angel with a sword to keep them out. Now, why does the angel need a sword? Because God likes to paint pictures. This is a sword. How many of you think that's a good sword? All right, that meant nobody. Okay. Now, I want you to write this principle down. Truth is revealed under the edge of the sword. This is such a big spiritual principle. Once you get it in Scripture, you'll see it everywhere you go. So here's the truth is revealed. I will keep the truth, that is, I will make uh, Adam and Eve honest by the sword. The sword is a type or a picture of the word of God. What God is saying, the word is going to keep you honest. Now watch what happens. I'm going to spring forward to 1 Kings 3.16, and there Solomon is confronted by two ladies and one baby, both claiming to be the mother. Solomon doesn't know which one is the real mother. All babies look the same to men. They all look like Winston Churchill for a little while. And so he says, I don't know which one is which. And so he said, bring me a sword, proving that he is not qualified to serve in our preschool ministry. Bring me a sword, I'll cut the baby in half. I'll give each mom a half and everybody will be happy. The real mother said, wait a minute, don't kill my baby, give it to the other mother. The other mother said, no, cut it in half, it's a good solution. So the idea is that the real mother, truth was revealed under the edge of the sword. Fast forward. Hebrews chapter 4. Now we're in verse 12. It says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. Here's the key. Discerning the true intentions of the heart, before whom God reveals all things. Fast forward, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. It says when Jesus comes back, he will come as a conquering hero. He will bring to an end this this great battle of Armageddon. And out of his mouth, and here's the the picture that God paints for us in this language, out of his mouth is a sharp two-edged sword by which... He will judge the nations. How? With the word of God. When you read the word of God, your heart is pierced and you are kept honest before God. If you don't stay in the Word of God, you will become like the parable of the, of the soils where it says that the, the man went out, he began to sow seed, and some of it fell on rocky ground, some of it fell along the side of the way, and, and some of it was, uh, was just uh, scorched up by the sun. And the idea is that only one out of four will receive the seed of the Word of God, will grow and prosper in good soil. And the others, the Satan will come and snatch the word of God from you. Some of you, the word of God will be snatched from you before you leave this building. Some of you, without a foundation, there will be no life. It will be like rocky ground. And it will just, it'll just disappear. And some of you, just for the lack of the environment, they being in the right environment, you'll go out here and think that you've got enough to keep you going until you come back in a week or two. And the truth is that Satan is always waiting for you. He's always wanting to trap you. He's always wanting to convince you somehow that what is normal, normal is not living outside of God's plan for your life. That's not normal. If you're a believer, normal is living inside God's plan for your life, saying, I'm going to walk with God, I'm going to seek out the precepts of God, the truth of God, and I'm not going to stray from the right or to the left. I'm staying with God. Thus, the, the, the illustration in that picture, he said, when you put your hand to the plow, you keep your eye straight ahead, because if you don't, you're going to, you're going to plow a crooked, crooked uh, course there for those seeds to be planted in. The furrow's not going to be right. It says, if you keep your eye off, if you take your eye off, it says you're unfit for the kingdom of God. You're unfit for the kingdom of God if you don't stay focused on Jesus. What we do is we fix all that with reclassifications that don't appear in Scripture. Well, he's a really good Christian. Find that one in Scripture. They're a pretty good Christian. They used to be a Christian. They're not such a great Christian now, but they used to be. Let me tell you something. In the Bible, there's only two kinds of Christians. You're either walking in the spirit, you're spiritual, or you're walking in the flesh, you're carnal. There's no in between. I'm either sold out to Jesus or I'm not. That's just Jesus talk. Amen? And so what it what is, is is he said, well, I don't want to be carnal. When somebody's telling you, "Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just really having to read my Bible," go well, then you're a carnal believer. How would that be for a gutsy move? We're so afraid because we're so PC-oriented that we can't figure out we need to help our brothers walk in the Spirit of God. Because when you walk in the Spirit, you don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Galatians five. How do I keep from doing all this bad stuff? Walk in the Spirit. When you do the bad stuff, you're not walking in the Spirit. When you're not, let me try this side over here. When you're, when you're walking in the spirit, you're not doing the bad stuff. Good, good. You feel better about yourself now, don't you? I feel better. Let me try this. You get another try. You repent. Okay. When you're walking in the spirit, you're not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. See, now that's competition. All right, now that's fleshly. All right, that's fleshly. Okay. <laughs> First John chapter 3 and verse 8, look what it says. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, so Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Part of the works of the devil are take away your place he says, I don't want you to have a destiny. I don't want you to have a purpose. I don't want you to have influence. I want you to whine and complain and, and be bitter and, and just say it's not fair. That's what I want, how I want you to live. That's not living like a son or a daughter of the living God. That's living a hopeless life. That's falling right into the trap of what Jesus came to do, to do was to destroy the works of the devil. Destroy means to loose, to unbind, to unravel, and to dissolve you got to take those things that come against you and say, I'm going to unravel that. That's not me. I'm going to dissolve that. That's not me. Jesus came for that. And don't accept failure or disappointment as a way it is. I mean, I'm just surprised at how long it takes this to get into people's head. You've, you've been born into the kingdom of God. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you walk around disappointed That doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. Life is not perfect for anybody. We already established the fact that everybody in the room has failed and been disappointed. But when disappointment comes, hey, I might have had a setback, but I believe a comeback is coming. The finish line may be out ahead of me, but I'm going to reach it. I might fall down, but I'm getting up and I'm running back in the same direction I started. We've all seen those Olympic uh, trials and those games where someone falls down and they trip up, and I remember the one, I can't remember what game it was, but where the dad came out. The guy had, he was in the lead, and he, 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 his whole hamstring froze up, and the dad came out on the field, and they're trying to get him off the field, and he's knocking the referee around. He says, you leave me, this is my boy, and he puts his, his boy's arm. He wanted to finish. The guy was trying to crawl to the finish line, put his arm around the boy. He finished last, but he finished. And I saw that, and I said, that's my dad. When I fall down, he picks me up, and he puts his arm over my shoulder, and the enemy comes, and he says, hey, that's not fair. The devil says, that's not fair. You can't finish that way. And the father says, you leave me alone, and you leave my son alone. We're going to finish the race. We're going to finish the race. We're not stopping here. We're going forward. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to a third one. This one is third use of the word keep. This time it's the word keeper. And I want to show you this from, uh, and this is uh, all about relationships. Uh, Genesis 4-9, and the Lord said unto Cain, whose name means acquisition, give me everything that I don't even deserve. Does that sound like the enemy? He's a thief, right? That's what Cain did. He stole, he tried to steal the glory. He tried to steal the position. He, and then he finally stole the life from his brother Abel. It says, and the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I know not, liar. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my job to, to plant a hedge of thorns around my brother and protect him from Satan? Ultimately, he was saying Satan did this to him, not me. Am I my brother's keeper? We hear that idiom. It's a part of English language today, not even knowing that it came right from the Word of God. But that idiom is, is used all the time. Am I my brother's keeper? The great answer would be to someone who asks that question or poses that in a, in a marketplace is to say, yes, you are. Do you know that, where that came from? And then give him a little lesson on Genesis. Am I my brother's keeper? What's really interesting is what precedes that verse. It's in verses 6 and 7, and God comes to Cain, and he said, If you do well, will you not be accepted? You see, the problem was that Cain didn't want to offer the right sacrifice to God. He wanted to cheat God out of the sacrifice. He didn't want to come to God with the right heart. He wanted to cheat God out of affection. He said, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if not, sin is lying at the door, and his desires for you, and you must master him. He said, Do you realize, Cain, that at every doorway you go through, that's a transition, every transition in your life, Satan will be there waiting for you. Because he knows your destiny. If he can stop you at that door, then he can stop your destiny. He can derail your future. He can derail the, the generations to come from, your, from the future that they have just from you, from your children or your children's children. He can derail all of that right there. He said sin is, uh, is, is at the door. He is there at the door. His desire is for you. You know what Satan does? He just thinks all the time about how he can rob you of your destiny. That's how we, you know, we have desire for happiness, right? That's a happy, you know, we, good life. We have a desire for that. Do you realize Satan's desire is to spoil your destiny? He has no future because he's already separated himself from God. So all he can is destroy your future so you're in the same condition he's in. He never feels sorry for you. He never lightens up on you. He never is tempted to go, yeah, gee, they've had enough. Let me go over to the other guy. He's not content until he destroys you. Unless you get a better lock on your camper, you're going to be attacked. His desires for you. but you shall rule over him. Here's what it says. It says it in Genesis chapter 4 verse uh, 7. You shall rule over him. You know what that is? That's dominion and authority. Now we talk about relationships. It was all about this relationship. Cain couldn't keep a good relationship with his brother. Let me talk you about three kind of relationships. Here's the first one. First kind of people that you're going to have in your life are the people that are for what you're for. They like what you like. They're for what you're for. For example, if you're for life versus abortion, then they like you. They're for you. Hey, we have this in common. If you're for a certain football team, they're for you. If they're for certain things you do in life, they're for you in that sense because they like what you like. They're for what you're for. Then there's a the second group of people, and those are the people that are against what you're against. If you're against something, for example, if you're against a certain political party, then they're your, you're in relationship with them. They're your friends. But the basis of all that friendship is just you're against what they're against. So if you change political parties, for example, you'll find very quickly they're not your friends anymore because they were only against what you're against. But now let me show you the most important kind of a friend you have, and if you have a handful of these, you have a lot. And that is the people that are for you. It doesn't mean they wink their eye when you do something wrong. It doesn't mean that they don't correct you. It doesn't mean that they don't help you. What it means is they're for you, and they're going to be there for you through thick and through thin. The confusion comes when you mix up those who are for what you're for with those who are for you. And then you're shocked. I can't believe. I thought they were my friends. No, they were never your friends. They were just simply for what you're for against what you're against. And, you know, give them space. The, The mistake we make is trying to get everybody in this big circle of friendship and they're for you. They're not for you. They're for them. God's called us to something more than that, amen? Let me tell you what kind of friend God is. God is the kind of friend that says, I'm for you. I'm for you. Let me take you a scripture. Psalm 121 and verse 4, it says, Behold, he who keeps Israel, there's the same word, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Jude chapter 1. Verse 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you. This word in the Greek is exactly the same meaning as the Hebrew word keep. There is not a shade of difference in it. It's amazing. Build a hedge of thorns, protect, keep something out. It says, now to him who is able to keep you. How? From stumbling. You know what God does when you start to stumble? He corrects you. He gets you on the right path. He whispers in your ear and go. are you really? Is this what I called you for? Is this what I called you for? He's going to keep you from stumbling. Let me ask you something. Suppose in your backyard you had an avocado tree, lime tree, and an orange tree. And every year you couldn't wait for the harvest. And you already had it figured out who's going to get that part of the harvest. And you look out one day and your neighbor hopped your fence. He's picking your fruit. What do you do? Oh, he probably needs it. He's a nice guy. None of you do that. You'd turn on the sprinkler. You'd flash the lights. Suppose you, you washed it for a couple of days. It's about to pick it clean, and finally you just turn the light on, and, and you go, hey, really? He goes, hey, neighbor, thanks so much. I love all this fruit that you've provided. What would you do? Well, if you're like me, you'd go get your BB gun. Just sting him a little bit. Teach him a lesson. But you wouldn't tolerate it, would you? Guess what? The enemy's been jumping your fence. He's been picking your fruit. You've been tolerating it. You've tolerated it long enough. God says, you know what? I'm going to keep you from stumbling I'm going to present you faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. It is God who is responsible to keep you from stumbling, to cause you upright. It is your job to understand your place to guard your place, to keep your security in your dominion and your authority and your influence and save your village, your city, your personal life, everything else. God has called you to that, to him who is able to keep you. He's going to keep you. He's watching over you, but you have a responsibility too. Amen? Let's stand together. As we stand together, and I want you to listen to this song and as we sing, here's what I want to ask you to do. Where you stand or where you sit, every area you've given up territory to the enemy I want you just to take it back right now. Would you say with me, I'm taking it back. All right, some of you let's try it again. I'm I'm taking it back. Say, say it. Well, I can mean it. I'm taking it back. All right. Now, when you mean that, the enemy hears that and he goes, "Uh-oh." I wasn't too worried when they were just sitting on the chair like a nice purse. But when they jumped up and started to sing, raised their hands in the air, and got excited about Jesus, I got a little worried. I like those ones that just sit on a a chair like a purse, just looking pretty. Cross their legs, yeah, just tell me something. But when you get in the game, you start to praise God, give him the glory, and say, I'm taking it back. He's going, "Uh uh-oh, we better watch out because they know what they're up about. Amen? So when you sing, I'd like you to sing like you mean it. I'd like you to sing it like I'm taking it back. Not like oh poor me. Alright, if you sing like poor me, I'm gonna see you, call you out. Amen. Alright, let's sing it. So we can straight your How many of you sang that like you're taking it back? Let's just, okay, pop on the lights. I want to see the, I want to see your faces right now. How many of you think you were singing it like you were taking it back? How many of you, raise your hand. How many of you took something back today? Amen? Amen. Took it back. Amen. God bless you guys. So next week, come back. Bring someone with you. I had a man in the first service, first service time he was here. And I had the pleasure of having met, going out to dinner with him and a couple other guys that were new to church. And this guy just was weeping, and he said, "Wow, I don't know what happened. At first, I didn't like the music. I'm not used to it. I'm not. I come out of a very traditional church. But uh, all of a sudden, about halfway through, it was like the walls broke down, the, the the door unlocked, and and I found something inside of me like the spirit I never even knew." And he said, I'm coming back next week with some friends. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Here's a principle, and I'm going to preach a whole sermon on this someday. You are more obligated to people you help than the people you help are to you. Now, I want you to think about that. You love people more that you help. Than the people you help love you that's why God loved you first that's why when you help somebody in need you feel better about it than they do because they feel obligated when you help someone find Christ you're showing your love when you bring someone to church you're showing your love you're saying I care so much once they understand how love works They don't feel guilty about that. They feel released from that. But you have that responsibility. That's your calling. If you're blessed, bless someone. Amen? Hope to see you next week. Bring someone with you. Worship team, so good. Thank you so much. God bless you.